Uh, if I haven't met you, net, met you yet, I just want to say good morning. My name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors here at Banner Church. And, you know, I think it's so cool when I watch that, that video because I feel like, well, A, it always gets me. Man, when she says, I never knew that I could look into the eyes of a woman I've never met and feel just how much I loved her. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Um, that's powerful to me. I don't care if you're 23 or 93. That's powerful. And there's just something about her that I find so inspiring, right? When you watch it, it's not like an excitement or being amped or a hype. There's just like this incredible joy that this woman has because she's just found what makes her her in Christ, right? She's just so united with her purpose that it can't help come out of her. And even in a five-minute video, we sense that there's something like unique and cool and different and inspiring about this person. And they didn't, you know, have to come up with, with phrases or, or actions. They just served. And all of a sudden, they were just united with something so pure and good and, and tangible, that we could show that video to anybody, and unless they had the hardest heart on earth, something inside of them would be like, ah, oh, man, that, that's powerful. Unwanted people finding love, that's powerful. That right there is the joy in serving, right? And this morning, uh, you've joined us. We're in the middle of this series called Joy in the Desert. And this is our series going through the book of Philippians. We started it on Easter. We're continuing it here today. Uh, if you missed any of the messages, I want to really encourage you to go check those out. Last week, Pastor Dana preached an incredible message on joy and suffering. And he said a line that really stuck with me and that joy is our ultimate revenge against the enemy in the face of suffering. And I really believe that, man, the power of joy in our life, in the church. And so this morning, we're going to continue on. We were in Philippians 1 last week. We're going to continue on into Philippians 2. And as we do, as we learn, I want you to continually remember Betty. I want to continually remember her heart. I want, to, I want you to continually remember, if you can, in your minds, her wrestle with the Lord. And I want you, if you can, to continue to remember as we go through this message the fruit of her decision. Can we do that this morning, church? Awesome. Well, let's pray. Would you do this with me? Would you bow your head and close your eyes? Would you pray with me, just repeating after me this morning? Can you say, Dear Jesus, speak to my heart and change my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I want to give a little context here before I jump into the scripture, because I, like I said, we're in the book of Philippians. And before I read, I, I just want to describe kind of where we're at. If, you're, if this is your very first Sunday, I'm excited you're here. I want to give you some context. Is that me? Am I doing that? I'm sorry. Anyways, whatever. Uh, but basically, in Philippians, what we have here is a letter that Paul wrote while he was in prison in Rome, about AD 61. And he writes this letter to the Philippians. It's not considered to be a book of circulation to go through all the church. He's writing specifically to this church because it was special to him. It was special for a couple reasons. It was special geographically because it was the first church to be planted on what's considered the European continent. It was in an area uh, formerly known as, you know, Macedonia. It's, you know, I guess Greece is the best explanation I can give. It's tucked up in there. Um, 
But it stood as an interesting spot positionally between Europe and Asia. And so it made the church, the city, and, you know, by way of the city, uh, the church diverse. If you read Acts, you see all these really interesting uh, people that are involved in the early church. And Paul loved this church. He had planted this church in his second missionary journey. He was fond of this church. And as we read scripture, we see that this church is also fond of him. And so he writes this letter, and I want us to always remember this. He writes this letter to this church, and and we are learning as well as the church. He writes it as an encouragement to have joy in all things. And so everything we share through this series, though though some of it feels like a high five and some of it feels like it stings a little, all of it is meant to encourage us as the church to say, I love you. I care for you, and I want to encourage you to receive the joy. And so that's my prayer this morning for all of us here. I want to say I I love everyone in this church. I want to encourage you that there's joy out there to be had. And so now we're going to turn to chapter 2 and read from Philippians together. I'm using... This, is, this was my father's Bible. I don't even know if he knows that I have this thing, but this thing's massive. So I'm only going to set it here a couple times because it will break the stand. <laughs> um, but let's read together. The verses will be on the screen, or if you have your Bible, you can uh, pull that out of your phone. Um, by the time the Bible app updates, I'll be done. But um, let's read together. And I want to read this uh, believing how I believe that Paul would be speaking this out. It's this. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Listen, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. And now being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and he gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amen this morning? Amen. only really know if you guys are listening and agreeing if you say things back to me. So that's where I come from. So that's what's happening this morning. (laughs) If it's bad, you can boo too. That's all right. Um, But this is probably one of my favorite scriptures. It's ironic because last time I spoke, I also spoke on serving. um, And I used this scripture. So here we are again. Um, But this morning, I I love this scripture, and later on uh, in the chapter, and I wish we had time to unpack all of it, but we just don't, but um, you can come over and I'll do it. Uh, But later on in the scripture, we see him um, applauding Timothy and Epaphroditus for living the way he just described, for showing this quality of the joy in serving. And we see in verses 1 through 2, Paul urging 
them to make his joy complete. And I just want to read that again because I want it to lock into our minds this morning. And I want you to feel the urging out of love that Paul is giving. He's saying, listen, church, if you have any, if you have received any encouragement from being united with Christ, being together with our Lord, if you've received any comfort from his love in being alone and being lost, but then receiving the comfort of the love of knowing him, right? If you've received any fellowship with the Holy Spirit, who's a comforter, if you've received any tenderness and compassion from our God, who gives it freely, right? He says, then make my joy complete. And then he lists off with the description of what it means to be for a follower of Christ to make his joy complete. And why is Paul, why does he speak so with such an urging tone. I think it's important not to neglect this because the people who, you know, Paul is a real person who felt real emotions, right? So why is he urging? I believe it's because Paul knew something that we like to forget. And it's this. If we want the joy of being with Jesus, then we must serve as Jesus served. If we want the joy that comes from Jesus, then we got to do what Jesus did. And two weeks ago, we talked about how, Dana talked about how the source of our joy, true joy, is Jesus. And Dana had shared that the world tries, it tries its best to fabricate a sense of joy, but that joy will never live up, right? It'll never live up to the expectation, but that our true source of joy comes from Jesus, John 15 says, it's not on the screen, but I'm going to read a bunch of scriptures that are on there, so, you know, roll with me here. John 15 says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. It says, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just, to, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this, so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. There's that phrase again, complete joy, that your joy may be complete. And I feel like it's a logical progression, right? If Jesus is the source of our joy, and our hope is to have more joy in life, then we must come closer to the source, right? If I'm out camping and I'm cold and there's a fire, it's simple to me to get near the fire to get more warm, right? To get warmer. <laughs> there we go. To get warmer, if I'm in my house and I'm really warm because I'm from Seattle and I want to be cooler, I got to get closer to the AC, right? I have to get nearer to the source. And so if we want more, we have to get nearer to the source. And the question being, begins then, we have to be near, we have to follow, we must become his disciples, right? See, we see over and over in Scripture from Jesus what it took to become a disciple, to follow, right? Matthew, if you're taking notes, I encourage you, man, take notes. It's so, so healthy for our, our memory. Matthew 16, 24, Mark 8, 34, Luke 9, 23, they all say this, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So now we have this clear progression, right? Jesus is the source. If we want more of the source, then we have to follow. If we want to follow, then we have to take up our cross. But 
What does that mean? I mean, if you've been in church any length of time, you've probably heard this phrase. And you, uh, being here in Arizona, which is a little more of a red state, I've seen two people walking around with crosses since I've been here, which is new for me. Um, but what does this mean for us? <laughs> it's new when you come from Seattle. Um, but what does this mean for us? What does it mean to take up our cross? The good news is twofold. One, Jesus so clearly showed us what it means to take up our cross. And two is that Paul does an excellent job in Philippians 2 reminding us of what Jesus did. And I want to say again, it's not meant to crush us. The divide between where we are and where Christ is is not meant to discourage, to bring down, to bring us in the depths. It's meant to inspire us. Like, I want to be near the fire. I'm cold. I'm not just going to sit here and be cold. I'm going to get near the fire. It's meant to inspire something inside of us. How many of you guys would like more joy in your life today, right? All right, then we are all on the same track this morning. <laughs> We're all on the same purpose. And so this morning, I want to pull out three, script, or three principles um, in, in this scripture, three things that Paul is calling the church to do. There's probably a hundred messages we could pre preach from this, but I only got like 20 minutes, so, you know, we do what we do. Um, but three things this morning that Paul is really pulling out of this scripture. The very first thing, he's calling the church to... If you're taking notes, right, lay aside our rights. Lay aside our rights this morning. Let's go to verse 6 real quick if you're with me this morning. and says, this is the attitude of Christ, right? This is what Christ did. Who being in the very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. See, Jesus, who was completely God, right, Completely God, completely man, made himself nothing. And in making himself nothing, in making himself a, a baby and a human and he's experiencing it like this, he laid aside all of his divine rights and privileges. And he didn't do this to get a promotion, to get, you know, some, some credit. He did it because he loved us and because he was obedient to God. He did it in obedience to the Lord. And so Paul is then calling the church, as Jesus did, to lay down our rights and privileges. And I want to make a special note. When I'm saying this, I'm not talking about like social justice, right? I'm not saying like this gives anyone an excuse to take away the rights of other people or to, to hurt other people. This isn't for harm. What he's addressing is the idea of what you and I feel like we have a right to or deserve. Let me give some context here. This, I'm going to speak for myself because that's easy for me. Um, when I get home, I feel like I have a right to that time. I worked hard all day. I got a right to that time. When I go home, that's my time, right? Or, you know, when my daughter finally goes to bed, that's my time. <laughs> if I want to come home and watch the Mariners blow a six-run lead, that's up to me. Right? If I want to come home and hope the coyotes eke out a win, that, that's my time. I deserve that time. I worked hard all day. I'm a proponent of hard work. I've lived my whole life believing in working hard. And I'm thinking, I worked hard. I'm coming home. I'm going to do what I want. If I want to, I, I pay a lot of money to keep this dumb pool looking normal. I'm going to swim in it. It's my time. I deserve this, right? <laughs> and, and and when I come home, I, I feel like I can feel myself rationalizing it, right? Like, I deserve to be in this pool. I deserve this in my time. I earned it. You know, like, don't, I need a Sabbath, right? 
right? I need a Sabbath. It's funny how religious people are always getting messed up on Sabbaths. Um, but anyways, that's a side note. Uh, but I think all the time, right? Here's another example. I worked hard for this money. This money is mine. I have a right to my money. I deserve all of my money. If poor people want money, then they should just go work harder and they can get money. I worked hard. I deserve my money. No one else deserves it but me. That's about how I thought that would be taken. <laughs> but last week, uh, Dana read this. He read Philippians 1.29, and I want to read this again, Pastor Dana. It says, for it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, all the benefits, everything that comes with believing in him, but also to suffer for him. See, God has called each of us to even greater things, has promised even greater things to the Holy Spirit. But are we willing to lay down those things that we have a right to? What if God is calling you to serve just, just like Betty did, right? Calling you to serve in an area where there is such great need. But he's asking you, can you lay down this thing? I, I know. I know that you work hard. I know you feel like you have a right to this time. And I'm not saying abuse yourself for the cause of ministry or anything like that. But you know exactly what I'm talking about. Is that I know you have a right to this. But what if God wants to do something great in this city? And he's just asking, would you lay down your time? And I'm not saying don't watch football, right? If there was like a, a belt level of watching, I would have a black belt in college football watching, right? I would have a double black belt in pool party, okay? Like I love these things. I'm not saying don't, don't do these things. Like don't think like, oh, cool, Josh is speaking today. We're all going to get yelled at. But, <laughs> but I believe that when those things in our life begin to take the place on the throne of our life, they become a problem. When Jesus is not on the throne of our life, he no longer gets to dictate our time and our organization and our money and our life and our priorities. When we remove him and we put ourselves, we begin to say, I have a right to this because. And some of you this morning, I want to encourage you. Man, there's real hurt in this city, in this church. And some of you, I, I want to say this as tenderly as possible because I believe in real hurt. Some of you are saying, hey, man, I, I know. I know, sister. I know, brother. I know, I, know, I know someone has really hurt you. I know they've said things, done things. You Maybe you feel like you've done things and there's a hurt there. And you feel like, man, I, I have a right to be angry about this. I have a right to be hurt about this. I I. I, I have a right to this. They did me wrong, right? And God is saying, are you willing to lay down your right to that hurt and that pain and your anger so that I might do something through you? And I will make you a guarantee today, church, on my life that says this. Whatever you are holding, God can give you something greater. What God has for you is greater than whatever you could hold on to. And I'm not trying to trivialize, trivialize pain. I'm just saying this morning, maybe God is saying to you, it's time to let go so that I can do something in ministry. And I, wanna, I just want to affirm that again this morning, that if we would lay aside our rights and our privileges, God's going to do something great. I believe that. The second thing this morning comes in verses 3 and 8, and that's take a posture of humility. I'm going to read this again this morning because I, I love these verses. It says, do nothing 
out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. If we jump down to verse 8, it says, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And I want to emphasize, when he's saying even death on a cross, he's saying even a humiliating death. Oh, that the Son of God would be so humiliated for us. That's what he's saying. But he says this interesting phrase, consider others better than yourself. And that, that's interesting. Easy to skim, skim over, but it is kind of an interesting thing. Do I consider others better than myself? And it's like, well, I, I mean, there's a lot more like talented and cooler people in this church than me. Yeah, I consider everyone better than myself. But what he's looking at is not some kind of like self-debasing, self-hate, like, yeah, I'm the worst. There we go. I did it, right? You know, I think of this quote, right? Humility isn't thinking less about yourself. It's thinking about yourself less. And what Paul is trying to address here are two things. And there's two things this morning. Uh, is it a critical spirit and priority? That's what he's addressing when he says, do I consider others better than myself? And so often whatever what stops us from ever receiving the joy of serving is a critical spirit, right? And I'm not talking like critical as in like we should pay attention to details and like also if things are wrong, we should instruct and guide. I'm not, I'm not talking that. I'm saying a critical spirit that's born out of selfishness in our hearts that cuts other people, churches, ministries, families, our community, women in jail, Right? It's a critical attitude. And sometimes I can find, I mean, we can be real talk this morning, right, church? Can we be real this morning? Oh, that was not affirming. Can we be real this morning? Okay, good. <laughs> if half of us, I'm not saying it, so good, we're all good there. Um, but I want to say sometimes a critical spirit worms our, its way into our church. And how it hides itself is this. Uh, I've come to find in Arizona, I say this, bless their heart, but. Right? This is my favorite one. This is my favorite one. Man, I love them, but, right? And we give ourselves this right. And I, I'm, I'm convicting myself here, people. Don't think I'm, I, I have to look this direction, but I'm looking inward. <laughs> um, but we hear this statement, and all the time, if someone says to you, man, I, man oh, I love Theo, but you're about to hear some stuff <laughs> about Theo. <laughs> no one starts in, I love them, but. They're also super great, you know. <laughs> You're about to hear some stuff. Do we really need to help people in that way? Do we have a right as followers of Jesus to help in that way? We justify it. But can I just ask a question this morning, church, of myself and all of us? Does the world really need our help to beat the crap out of Pastor Dana, right? Or anyone else in this church? Does, does, it, does it need help? I feel like it's doing a pretty good job on me. Like, <laughs> it doesn't need support. It doesn't need backup of a critical spirit in the church. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't call out things that need to be called out that are unbiblical, right? Please don't take that I'm saying that. Please, let's, let's support and encourage. The Bible is used for a lot of things. But I believe that sometimes we see people on the ground and we see their flaws and we see them on the ground and we think like, yeah, man, I love them, but man, <laughs> Look, look, you know, we lend a couple of kicks like, man, you know, I, you know, I love Nick, but man, that guy cannot play guitar, you know, like, we just like lay in or, you know, I'm just joking, I love you, Nick, or like, or like, you know, I, I love, you know, I love, I love Pastor Dana, but, you know, I love, 
I love, you know, the person sitting next to me, but, you know, I love Banner Church, but, you know, and we give ourselves this right. And Peter is saying this morning, hear me say, look at Jesus, right? If Jesus, who was like an almighty God, who was both fully God and fully man, I mean, Jesus kept it real with people, but at the end of the day, if Jesus did not critically undercut and hurt and harm people for selfish purposes, then we don't get to either, right? And I'm believing for a church. I want to see a transition and a generation in our church that when we see someone on the ground, instead of being like, oh, I love them, but, you know, they're messy and they got this, what we do is we lift them up. And not only do we lift them up, we take the attitude of Jesus that says, hey, man, I know you got muddy shoes, but stand on my shoulders. I'm willing to take some of your dirt on me. Stand up and look out. See how far together we can look out and see the promises of God. See how far we can look. And I might get a little dirty, and, you know, it's going to, it's going to be tough, but you know what? Rather than kicking you when you're down, I'm going to stand up and say, I rebuke a critical spirit in my church, and I allow someone to stand on me and say, like, man, God's got some great stuff planned for this church in this city. And you know why Jesus did that? Because Jesus was all about people, right? The third thing this morning is prioritize people. If we look at verse 7, it says that Jesus took the very nature of a servant even uh, unto death on a cross. And I love it says he took the nature. See, being a servant wasn't just something that Jesus did. It was who he was. It was his nature. See, Jesus was all about serving people. Jesus' ministry was spent with people. He was with rich people and poor people. He was with dirty people. He was with clean people. He was with government people. He was with prostitute people. He was with criminals, right? He was all about people. And in fact, he goes to the cross for who? For people, right? For us. I love it is dying. I heard a pastor share this recently, and it just totally, I was thinking about this all week. Is that his dying moment on the cross, when he had every right for it to be about him, he spends it with a thief. Even in death, in dying, Jesus is about people. Matthew 6 19 says this. Do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth where moths and vermin destroy. And where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy. And where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Sometimes I feel like we overcomplicate things, right? If money and fame and riches and my house aren't going to make it to heaven, what is? What could, I, what could I possibly invest in that might have a return eternally, right? What, if I, wanna, I want a secure investment, heaven what what's the only thing here that's going to make it people do we prioritize people like Jesus did do we have the perspective that is God wants to have not only in this life but for eternity a relationship with every person in this room no matter how broken you feel no matter how lost you feel God is saying this morning I want to have a relationship with you do we value that together church like Christ did 
And we don't serve, the, great, the good news, I guess, is we don't serve for us, we serve for God. Because if we serve for us, then it would, it's probably a good call to serve the people you feel comfortable with, that reward you, that return your investment. But when we serve for God, it's different. We receive a joy that comes from God. Our reward is greater because we serve for the Lord. And I want to ask a simple question this morning is that have you, have we made yourself an island? As I'm thinking about this, I'm thinking, have we made ourselves islands, our own little Christian island, and occasionally we'll come off the island and we'll, you know, reach into someone's life and then we'll go back to our little island and we'll stay together and, you know, we'll be like, ah, oh, I'm going to go out and serve like if Katie asked me to, but then I'm going to go back to my island and, like, do my thing. But have we you know, put ourselves, have we blocked ourselves off? Maybe for you it's a garage or something, you know, whatever it is. You know, for me it can, can be my backyard. I'm like in my backyard, but then I go out and then I come back. You know, I'm like in my little space. But if we want to really connect as Jesus did, we got to prioritize people like Jesus did. John, uh, John 13 is probably one of my favorite passages of Scripture because we see this incredible moment. Of Jesus as a servant. And he takes this towel, they're at the dinner, right? He takes this towel around his waist and he gets down on his knees and he washes the feet of his disciples. And when he's all done, he stands up and I just picture this kind of like very teaching, you know, rabbinical moment, right? Of saying, you call me teacher and Lord and rightly so, for that's what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Blessed how? With money? No. With fame? Probably not. <laughs> how will you be blessed? With the joy that comes from serving true joy that no one can take from you, no one can trick you and give you a counterfeit true joy that comes from Christ. Because serving was not just what he did, right? It was who he was. And can I say this morning, I, I'm trying to keep an eye on time. <laughs> my heart really breaks for my generation. We have an interesting church because a lot of people in kind of two interesting generations, but my heart breaks for our generation because we're in an identity crisis, Without weighing in, you know, too heavily, I feel like we could all say, we have an identity crisis, you know, millennials. But I feel like the church has an identity crisis as well. It has. Because if you want the joy that comes from Christ, you must follow him. And in order to follow him, then you have to serve like he serves. So I can't anymore be a follower of Christ without serving than I can just decide I'm a golden retriever. Right? I could go get a tail. I could get these physical attributes of a golden retriever. But none of you would believe me, no matter how convincing I was, because at my core, rooted in my heart, in my DNA, in my existence, I, I'm not. And the same thing that Jesus is telling us about serving is that it must root down deep into our heart and take the very nature of a servant. And I know, like, I know this is strong, and I know this is a strong portion of Scripture, but how many of you guys believe with me that sometimes we got to read the tough parts because we read at this church all the Bible. <laughs> we don't just pick and choose what we, what we like and what makes us feel, you know, warm and fuzzy. Um, but we, we preach all of it this morning. 
And rather than let that frustrate us as a church about, oh, you know, they're just going to want me to like serve in kids. I'm just saying, may God stir up a dissatisfaction for the level of joy that we would have. And just like people who are thirsty in a desert, that we would wander and look and seek the source of our refreshment, of our revival. And in seeking, I can tell you right now, I can cut your journey in half. Here's the source, serving as Jesus served. I'm going to read uh, one more scripture this morning. I'm going to invite the band to come forward. Or on the stage, you can go there. <laughs> but I'm going to read 1 Peter 4.10. Can we get it to the band this morning? Didn't they do a good job? Yeah. If you guys ever want to know what it's like to be in a worship band, you can come Saturday nights at 9.30 <laughs> and help us finish setting up. <laughs> it's, it's their favorite thing. Um, but I want to read this morning 1 Peter 4.10. It's not on there, but I just, you know, if you can just hear these words with me this morning. It says this. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various form. If anyone speaks, they should do as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides so that all things God may be praised through Christ Jesus. To him be the glory and power forever and ever. Amen. So this morning as we end, and we've heard this charge of Paul, this charge of this contrast of who Christ is. There's three simple questions I want to ask this morning. Three simple questions. I want to ask, how has God gifted you? How, how has he gifted you? How has he uniquely gifted you? See, you're not an accident. You're not a mistake. You're in this church not, not by accident. We believe that you're here for a reason. We believe you're in this city for a reason. We believe you have your gifts and your talents for a reason. And first I want to say, man, if you feel like God has not given you any gifts for ministry in life, I just want to say he has. And we as a church will gladly walk alongside you to begin to just unveil how God has uniquely gifted you because he has this morning. But I want to pray this morning, if that's you, you're saying, God, how have you gifted me? How has he uniquely gifted you that he would begin to reveal through the Holy Spirit to you how he's gifted you in your life? Some of you guys might feel like, ah, man, as I'm asking myself that, how has he gifted me? I, man, I, I'm kind of a mess. I feel like I got to get myself together before he can use me. Can I say, nope, <laughs> you don't. God has gifted you. He's prepared you, and you know what he's going to say? As you serve, you will discover more of me. And in discovering more of me, all of those broken pieces will become mended because you will have more of me. If you want more peace, more hope, more life, then you just need more Jesus. You get that when you serve. Second thing I want to ask is, to where and to whom has God called you? Right? Right? Comfort and call are not always the same thing. God might call, to call you to serve in a way you're not comfortable with. Think about how God called Betty in that video. He says, I, I'm 90. I've done it. And she did some good stuff. Like, did you hear her list? It was very impressive. He says, God, I'm good. And I, I would have loved, can I be honest? I would, selfishly, I would have loved if in John uh, 13, Jesus had kind of let us off the hook. Like he washed everyone's feet, then he got to Jesus, or got to Judas, and he was like, and then he kept going. Like, you know, if he kind of gave him a little burn, like, eh, you know, you know Judas. 
we would have been fine. I would have felt like very reassured, like good, good, good. But he didn't. Can I tell you, he washed the feet of the person he knew was going to betray him. Man, I mean, I'm not there. Can I be honest? I wish I was, Jesus. But he didn't let us off the hook. And I'm not saying he's going to call you to serve people who are going to like have you turned over to, to die. But I'm just saying God might call you to something that you don't feel comfortable with. Sometimes we have this idea in the church, like, I just feel at peace with it. You know what? There's some things like being crucified that people are not at peace with. <laughs> and he might call you to that this morning. But I want to invite you to pray a bold prayer that God would awaken in your heart to where and to whom he is calling you to minister. The third question this morning, this is the big one. This is the, it's number three, but it's number one in our hearts. Will you serve? Just like Paul asked the church by presenting the character and the nature of Christ, he is asking us as a church, will you lay aside your rights and your privileges? Will you take the posture of humility? Will you prioritize? Will I prioritize people? I believe because I've read scripture that there's more for this church. I believe because I, I know the Holy Spirit and who, and who he is and what he does that there's more for this church. I believe that there's more for this city. I believe that there's more for all of you. But I believe that our first step is to acknowledge the call when God's saying, will you go? Will you serve? I don't want you to feel emotionally ramped up or feel convicted like you have to do anything, but I believe that each one of you, God is speaking and he's saying to your spirit, to your heart, will you serve? Dana shared the other week a quote that a joyless church is a powerless church. And I want a church of power, not of personal might, not of fame and fortune, not of uh, hype. I want a church of power so that we might see transformation in this city. But in order to get there, we need to be a people that serve. And I think it's one thing, if I'm being honest, it's one thing to agree that this scripture is a good idea. And it's another to say, I will now do it, right? I will now serve. And I believe this morning, God is asking, will you serve? Would you stand with me? Would you just close your eyes? I want us to be able to just focus our hearts and our minds this morning as we conclude. God is calling out to his church. He's calling out to you. And he's saying, will you go wherever, whenever, to whomever I have called you, whether it's Betty going to the prison to minister to people who are lost in prison or the act of, of greeting or the act of reaching out to your community or neighbor, whatever that is, I don't want to even bias you in your mind and your heart with ideas. But God is calling out and with our eyes closed and our hearts focused on him, he's asking, will you serve do you want more of the joy of the lord 
will you serve? Do you want more of the unmanufactured, true, authentic, pure, exciting, life-sustaining joy of the Lord? Then will you serve? He's asking this morning.